Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. All right, so if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Uh, We want to be in the Word. This is a teaching that is very expositional, which means we are marching through the Word together. Um, And so what I just want you to do, if you did not come with a Bible and you need the Word, please raise your hand. Our ushers will hand it out. What I am going to do is ask you guys to turn to Matthew chapter 14. Um, Actually, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do a little bit something different. We're going to start where we left off in Matthew 13. So we're going to start in uh, verse 53 of Matthew 13, if you could join me there. I'm going to march through, um, all the way through the verse of the night. Our series is on John the Baptist's beheading. So beware, this is a little funky of a, of a chapter. Uh, usually you come to church to get uplifted. This one's really uplifting, I promise you. Um, but this one's really kind of exciting too. If you are a person that enjoys your TV shows and you like your soap operas, we're going to be there. We're going to be there if you like that kind of thing. Um, so here I am. Gonna, I'm going to read all the way through for us, and then we'll pray, and then we'll begin. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, starting verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming into his hometown, he began to teach the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? This is so great. Isn't this mother, uh, his mother's name Mary? And aren't those his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And then they took offense. Now, two things that we want to focus on is this next sentence, uh, the next two verses. Jesus said, but he said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. That's so sad. And then 58, he says, and he did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. Now, let's continue on. This is where it gets real interesting. At the time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports of Jesus, and he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that, he, that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and I praise you uh, for just your time, just your word, that you have something special that you've been preparing, maybe even all week in the hearts of the people that are here. Lord, help me get out of the way of this teaching. Let it just be the Holy Spirit being poured into the hearts that are looking for living water, for living bread, to just heal hearts, to bring them close, to just give them the realization of this. You are a God of great mercy, great love, great repentance. In Jesus' holy name we say, amen. So this is very, very exciting for me um, because this particular teaching is kind of gross. And so this would go really well in the youth. I just want to let you know, but we're not in the youth, so we're going to try and clean this up. But it does get very, very exciting. Um, I want to point to this picture on the screen. I'm going to show you something. This. This is what we're dealing with. This is your soap opera, As the World Turns. This is the court of of Herod Antipas, who's, who we're dealing with. Now, um, I wish I had some longer arms. I wish I was tall like Pastor Dave, but I'll work with you guys here. So as you guys can see, if you look over here, you're going to see Herod Antipas, right? And he is one of many that are um, related to Herod the Great, right? So here is the Herod. This is the Herod that we're dealing with in this word, Herod Antipas. He's this first, one, first green box right here. Now, over here is Herod uh, Philip. Now, this is the first husband of Herodias. This is what we're dealing with right now. He um, is a half-brother of this Herod over here of Antipas. And what happens is that they actually met 
at, their, yeah, at Philip's house, and Antipas was actually married to a, a, an Arabian princess at the time. He meets, her name is Herodias, which is right here in purple. Don't worry, this is, all makes sense later. This is Herodias, and they fall in love. In fact, they, some accounts say that, that he seduced her, brought her back to a palace. They pretend got married, but actually never got married. And so he, the, the Arabian princess that he was married to over here was like, you know what? I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm just out. I, I, the second he grabs another lady, I'm probably dead next. So she runs to her father and she breaks out. She says she's going to a fort that's at the border. She gets to the fort and then she just keeps going and she goes home. So Herodias is now mar- quasi living with Herod Antipas. And this is John the Baptist's time. He's moving through the crowd and no doubt people brought this up. Like, so you keep preaching all this stuff in the word. What about the guy that's governing our area? What about him? This is the guy that's in charge of the Jewish people. Why isn't he holding up Jewish law? And without a doubt, John, preaching the word, a man of truth, the greatest prophet ever known, said, I'm just going to keep preaching the truth. I'm just going to keep preaching the truth. I just want to throw a little something. I don't know if you guys remember Duck Dynasty, A&E. They got him in the GQ interview, right? They cornered him. How do you feel about homosexual marriage? And he was just like, it's not really for me to say, but this is what the word says. Amen. He did not bail on the truth. The truth was what guided him. It wasn't a personal account. It wasn't his call. He wasn't the judge. Remember last week we were talking about, we're not judges. God is the judge. We are the ones in the dragnet together. But this is a place where you go, I have to point you to the truth. Amen for people that stand up for the truth. And that's John. John is no doubt just talking about the truth. So here's Herod. He's so afraid of the people at this time. Herodias is a pagan woman. She worships Baal. She worships Baal. And part of her religion is the growth of power. That's part of her, her, her life. It's just consuming more and more power. And she cannot consume power when there's this guy standing in the street preaching against her and they're losing favor with the people. And so she says, you got to kill this guy. It's kind of interesting. Listen to this. Herod's like, but if we do, the people. I'm giving you a sense of who we're dealing with right now. So he grabs this man, throws him in prison. Throws him in prison. Herodias' daughter, Salome, is um, with him at a, at a huge party. They had to move the party. The party actually got moved from their place in Tiberias to another location, which is closer to the prison where John was at. The reason why they had to move, and I'm just giving you a sense of who you're dealing with. You have a Jewish leader or a guy that's ruling over the Jews. He builds his, he builds his house over a graveyard, which is a no-no in the Jewish religion. And so most Jewish people, even though there was like some people that are dealing with him and trying to, you know, network, trying to grow their properties, trying to grow their, their net worth and, you know, get schmooze with the bigwigs, even they wouldn't go to that party because I'm not going to go dance on a grave. That's a no-no. So he moves the party and it's closer to where John the Baptist is being held in prison. So Herodias sees this moment. She seizes it and she goes, all right, Salome, my daughter, who's not of marrying age, so that puts her somewhere between 13 and 15, go out there and be sexy. Go out there and do a dance. Everybody's drugged up. Everybody's drinking. We can do this. Herod, the governor, installed in place by the Roman government, giving you a deeper picture of who we're dealing with here, the guy who is installed by another government sees this woman dancing, this young lady, and he's enthralled. The crowd goes wild. And he says to her, actually, if you look at Mark 6 and some of her other accounts, he says, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Now, I just want to point out, he's a, he's a quasi-married man. And now he's talking to the, her daughter. And he's basically saying, if you were my queen, I'd give you half of my kingdom. Because that's how that works. Herodias hears this, doesn't care. She's on task. Daughter, I sent you out there to be sexy. I wanted you to do a thing. I want you to get John the Baptist's head. So she's so focused, she could care less about what her, what her quasi-husband just said. This husband goes and says, all right, I'm a little afraid, but I'm also afraid of you. So let's go get his head. And they bring his head in and he's dead. And I just want to point something else in here. This is what makes it crazy. Herodias is actually the niece of both Herod Philip and Herod Antipas. Kind of weird. So there's a niece being passed around uncles. And Herod just offered her a marriage, basically, even though it was like flirting at night. 
she could have essentially, her mom could have became her niece. Her mom, she could have been her, her mom could have been her daughter-in-law, niece, and she could have been the aunt as the world turns in Israel. I just wanted to paint the picture of where we're at. So it gets really, really convoluted. And you're like, wow. And this is the place where Jesus is standing. Yes. <laughs> so the thing, the reason why I bring this to you is the, the thing that I find so fascinating is this is a very convoluted situation. This is a very distorted situation. This is a man who has no real power trying to corral power that he doesn't have. It's, it's a man that's trying to grab and make with, you know, put a firm foundation of a kingdom when all he has is sifting sand. And it's a sifting sand of such a weak self-deception. And that's kind of what we're looking at tonight. So if you're looking at the, the title, if you want to put a title, I put a cross and comfort. Cross or comfort. Cross or comfort. This is something you have to make a decision for yourself because this is what John the Baptist was preaching at the time. John the Baptist was thrown into prison as a man saying this, behold, Jesus, the Lamb of God. That'd be crazy for Jewish people to hear because that's saying the Lion of Judah, your Savior who just showed up, he's also a sacrificial lamb. And Jewish people are like, whoa, what does that mean? He's, he's already stirring the pot politically and in the religious community. And here's John the Baptist. I, I, I'm only being told what I can do. I, I have to decrease so that he can increase. That is something rabbis don't do. Rabbis make a scene. Rabbis go places. Rabbis get a crew. I need to move out of the way for this greater, greater good, this greater guy. And this is why he's thrown in prison because he is never going to, you know, balk on the truth or on lies and truth. He's going to stay there and say, I need to do what God has called me to do. And that's it. And we can look at this. And there's a lot of, uh, if you go online, there's a lot of teachings about like when God closes the door or when God is silent or when God... I don't think of that as the way. I know that in uh, Matthew chapter 11, we have John the Baptist going, so Jesus, I'm in prison. You're the savior. Are you gonna do anything about this? Are you really the Messiah? I think all of us have had those moments. But this is John who never stopped preaching. In fact, some of the old historians said he even turned the prison into a, 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 like, a, like a, preacher, a prison guard. You wanna hear what I got to tell you? Somebody bringing him food. Stop, let's talk. I got to give you the gospel. Why? Because that's my calling. And this is the man. Now, the flip side of it is this. Here is Herod. He's a man that's been given charge over the Jewish people. He should be looking out for the Jewish people. But here's a man that I find very funny because he's trying to put all the truth on pause. He's trying to mute exactly what God's doing, but you can't do that. Look at this. At the time Verse one, at the time Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus and he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That is why his miracles, or miraculous powers are at work in him. I just wanna point out what he's really saying here. This is kind of like a telltale heart situation. If you guys know Edgar Allan Poe's story, the beat, he, the guy murders him, a person and he hides him and he can still hear the heartbeat. It's his own heartbeat he can hear. There's a consciousness that you're, you're hearing pop up in Herod. He's going, wait a minute. I just killed John the Baptist. Now in the Bible, this seems a little confusing because we're jumping in. If you like your shows where it's like previously. Pre previously on Jerusalem. You know, like this is what we're running into. Previously, that's why Matthew's going, this is important. I have to tell you this because Jesus is now moving from one place to another. Jesus has just done about two years of raising up disciples, two years of preaching, two years of taking care of his flock. And now he's moving into the place where he's growing his disciples and he's sending them out. So that's where we are. And he's now losing his cousin, who's also his partner, who also is the forerunner of him. Behold the Lamb of God. He's just lost him. And now he's drifting. And you're seeing a shift. You're seeing a shift in Jesus. But Matthew found it important to say this. This is almost a precursor as Jesus moves out of Galilee towards Jerusalem to the life an end of life that Jesus will face. So I just want to put this in front of your face because I always get this question. This is a little apologetic. People go, so do I have to suffer for Christ like that? I'm like, well, if you end up in the desert wearing camel cline and you're preaching and you're the forerunner of Jesus, I'm pretty sure you'll get in jail and get your head cut off. But you're just at the high school down at, you know, Sebastian River. I think you'll be okay. So this is not that kind of suffering. You're not called that kind of suffering. But I do want to point out where we're looking at. We're looking at Herod. This particular teaching, we're looking at Herod. And he's looking at this. I want to just read this line for you. Sir Walter Scott. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. When we deceive everybody else, 
It's really ourself that we deceive. In that moment, we think that we're so smart. In that moment, forgive my pun, we're practicing a game of thrones. It's really us that we're losing. You can't, God can't preach to your facade. God can't heal your Instagram account. God can't do what you were projecting to be. God can only heal the heart. God can only heal the heart. One time when I had an opportunity uh, to work at this, uh, this, uh, this uh, was kind of like a, a kids ministry, or not kids ministry, but um, Discovery Zone. You guys have heard of Discovery Zone? It was like food, and they had a place where kids could go diving and uh, in the ball pits and then go slide down the slides. I got to work there, and uh, they closed for a week because of the hurricanes, and then they reopened, and they said, oh, by the way, uh, the, uh, what's it called? The, the inspector's coming today. And we flicked on the light. It was human in there. And I was like, are the balls moving? And there was cockroaches going everywhere. As soon as the light hit, it exposed what was there. As soon as the light hit, and I went into the kitchen and flicked on the light, are the pizza rolls moving? <sighs> the reason why I'm bringing this out to you is this is kind of like the story. You can't hide what the light is going to expose. And this is where you have to stop and do this. Look at Galatians 1.10 says this. Am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of who? God or Christ, depending on your um, interpretation there. So where we are looking at this, fragile is the life of a person who constructs their foundation on bearing the actual truth of who you are. In the beginning, God made us in his image. And anything less than that is an empty creation. Anything that, I always like to say this in, in the youth, if my, um, my iPhone fails to make calls, what's it good for? If my toaster stops making toast, what's it good for? This is the breakdown of what you feel in your heart. I am something that I'm not. This is what I'm saying. I am not a man that is striving to please the men. This is right about the moment that you're hearing this conscience break in inside of Herod. He sees John the Baptist. He kills John the Baptist. Jesus shows up. He feels conviction. That's the moment. That's the moment that we have right now. Listen to this. Romans 2.15 says it this way. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness that their, so their thoughts sometimes accuse them at the other times even defending them. Um, I always like to tell this story. When I'm back there uh, with the kids, this kid came running you know, with Jackie. I was helping Jackie one day. And this kid comes in and he's like, Dustin broke my G.I. Joe. And I'm like, where's Dustin? I'm like, Eric, where's Dustin? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, how do you break it? He's like, I, I, I hit him over the head with it and it shattered. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait, back up. What story are you telling? This is the place we're here. Or I have another one that I always like to tell is this one. It says, I had this friend and she's like, hey, let's all get in the car. There was a Newsboys concert in, in Fort Lauderdale. And she goes, let's get, kind of dating myself there. She goes, jump. She goes, let's go in the car. Newsboys, they're so cool. Let's go see them. They're in Fort Lauderdale. We all jump in the car. We're driving. And I just remember I was in the backseat and one of my friends was like, uh, is your hood on fire? And she's like, yeah. He's like, wait, no, those are actual flames. We need to get out. She's like, what? This is crazy. She's like, I can't believe this. We're like, we can't believe what? As we're pulling on the side of the road and we're sitting on one of those, you know, metal awnings that are on the side right there. I go, what happened? She goes, the check engine light was on. And all our friends are like, wait, wait, wait. We got on the highway, went on 95 in South Florida. It's like four or five lanes in some places. I'm like, everyone's doing like 95 on 95. And you now just, oh yeah, the check engine light did come on. Well, what happened? Well, I hit it till it turned off. And she said this line, and I'll never forget it. I thought we shouldn't get in the car today as her car's going up in flames. And I think about this all the time. The law that's written on your heart is there. Most of the time when I deal with anybody in counseling and I say to them, what would Jesus tell you to do? They already have the answer. There's no counseling that comes from me that's anything. I go, what would Jesus tell you to do? Probably stop doing what I'm doing. What would Jesus tell you to do? Probably stop saying those things. Probably stop watching those things online. Probably just stop going to that place. Probably just leave that person alone. 
How do you know that? Because that's what Jesus would tell me to do because he would want me to create peace or he'd want me to be the one to forgive or he, it's already on our hearts. And here's Herod and he's struggling with that. I wanna give you this point. Children of God, hear the voice of truth. Children of God, listen to the voice of truth. That is God. He knew what was right. The rest is just opinion. There's gonna be all kinds of conjecture in your life. People are always going to have an idea, speculation of what you should do. Let me ask you this. What does this tell you what to do? When the Duck Dynasty father said what he said, he said it because that's what the word told him to do. There's a straight line. There's a narrow path. I'm going to follow it. It's not hard. It's not convoluted. There is no, there is no court intrigue. There is no, let me figure this out. It's Lord, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to shine the light? Opinion versus truth is the difference between conjecture and conviction. John the Baptist lived by his conviction. John the Baptist lived by his conviction. I just want you to understand that he lived and breathed his conviction. The Lord is God and I am not. And if, he, if I am creation and he is creator and he tells me to go, I go. End of story. End of story. And I just think about this all the time because there's a huge struggle in people's heart in this. You think about Pinocchio. This is going to catch you off guard. It catches me off the guard when I think about this. Pinocchio, he goes with Lampwick, his friend, to wear Toy Island. Why? Because Geppetto said not to go. So obviously it's awesome. <laughs> you should be in school. No, I'm going to go to Toy Island. What do we do there? We drink and smoke until our heads fall off, right? It's going to be amazing. And then they get there. And Jiminy the Cricket Time after time, this is not right. This is not the place to be. They're doing something to these kids. Turns out, you turn into a donkey. Now, what's interesting about this particular writing, what's fantastic about this writing, does anybody remember what the donkeys were used for? Immediately, Honest John, the guy that drove them there, went from Honest John to the demonic slave master. Just think about that. Bob Dylan said it best. You're going to be a slave to somebody. It's going to be God or the devil. You decide. Matthew 6, 24 says, you cannot serve two masters. And if you hear Herod's heart, he's split. A split mind is a confused heart. You know, we could look at Herod and be like, what a jerk. But, you know, he's sitting there listening to John and he's listening to John and he's listening to John. And I just feel like it's like a highway with so many off ramps. You know, if you miss this one, you have to go all the way down to Vero. It's like that. There is no other, you know, like, and it's like, don't, hey, God, just turn, turn. You ever had that friend? Turn, turn. Or, you know, the lady in the, in the map quest, turn. <laughs> no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And that's where we are. We have a man who was born into a world where he heard the truth and he tried to put it on mute. And we can't do that. We can't mute the truth because it's still there. Let me just give you a little breakdown of this. Uh, look at the scriptures that John the Baptist was preaching. This is in the synagogue. This is in Jewish culture. None of you should approach to that as any near kin of him and uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. Let me break that down. Don't go look at your brother's wife. Boom, Leviticus right there. Hmm, I'm Herod. What should I do today? Not that. It's right there in the verse. How about Leviticus 18, 16? Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy brother's Life. Exodus 20, 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. I want to put this in your heart. It's pretty basic. It's pretty black and white. I'm being very kind of like direct for this moment. And so you can hear it. When you get to heaven, there's going to be two chairs, yours and God's and nobody else's. And he's not going to ask you, what did John the Baptist do? He's not going to say, did you hear his words? He's going to say, what did you do with my word? Because he knows you heard it. That is this place of judgment. And I want to give you this, this little place right here. John the Baptist, that wasn't really Herod's problem. It was John the truth teller. John the Bible preacher. John the one who is living out the gospel. Be prepared for the world to hate you as much as they hate Jesus and John the Baptist. The moment that the dad in the Duck Dynasty made that comment, A&E made the decision to remove him from the show. And he said, I'm okay with that. I have to be. I have to be. Look at this verse, James 1.8. For such 
a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. A scarecrow, I think about this guy. Remember him from Wizard of Oz? I think it's this way. Well, maybe it's this way. It's this way. Wait, we can't kill John because the people will get upset. Wait, everyone's getting upset. I better kill John. Who's king? I will tell you this. If you ask John, there'd be no hesitation. John the Baptist, who's king? Jesus Christ, my Lord, my Savior. Herod, who's king? Well, it's, who's to say? It's pretty tough. By the way, I'm making a mess of my life. I can sin and want to be good at the same time. That's the problem with double-mindedness. I can sin and be, let me tell you the greatest line I've ever heard over at Sebastian River High School. The greatest line I've ever heard. Yeah, I do bad things, but I'm like good bad. What does that mean? I want you to explain that to me because I might use that in a sermon one day. What does good bad mean? Well, you know, mm, I, do the, I do the little ones. I do the little ones. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, well, here's the thing. You don't understand. I'm building up my street cred. Now, we can laugh at our high schoolers, but how many of us have compromised the truth at the water cooler at work? How many of us have compromised the truth, maybe even their own mind and heart at night? Maybe when your spouse leaves the room. I'm just being real. This is the place that we are. We cannot be warm, like lukewarm. We have to be hot or cold. Otherwise, the Lord said, I will spew you out of my mouth. Listen to this. Faith built on truth will lead us to look through the fear. I want to ask you this. Do you really think John the Baptist wasn't scared at any point of getting his head cut off? I'm sure he was. He's human. That's the human, it's the human story. But here's Herodias, Herod's wife. And she hates this critic. And this critic is the truth. 1 Timothy 4.2 says it like this, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. A hot iron. God is a great gentleman. He will leave the 99 to pursue the one. He will constantly come to your door and knock. He will constantly pursue you. But I think as a gentleman, there's only so many times that you say, go away before he goes, okay. I truthfully believe it. Now, I don't think that anybody in this room is beyond the reach of the Lord. I think if you hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if you go for a second, I'm nervous, I'm worried, then guess what? You're hearing from the Holy Spirit. If you are indifferent, I heard this from a, a great scholar. I think he was like in the 1800s. He said, looking at the world wars that are to come, right? There, there's the Prussian war and everything. And he goes, we're, we're headed towards mass, mass murder in World War I. And he said this, the greatest victim or the greatest attack, or the greatest enemy, I'm sorry, the greatest enemy of love isn't hate, it's indifference. 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 Listen to this, truth will always hold us accountable. How can you be indifferent to that? You know, when I stood in a doctor's office and they told me I had high blood pressure, I went, oh, okay, well, I'll deal with it. And the, and the lady went, no, no, you don't understand, you have really high blood pressure. And I went, oh, okay, I'll just eat less salt. She goes like, no, you're not getting it. She turned and showed me the numbers. And I was like, what? She's like, that's stroke level. You got to go to the hospital right now. At what point should I put her on me? Well, you know, I've got plans. <laughs> Jackie wants to go shopping. <laughs> the truth will hold you accountable because she said to me, the truth is eventually going to kill you. If you don't go to the hospital right now, you're going to die. You're at stroke level. I always think about this story. The Francis Bacon always tells the story. Sir Francis Bacon, great historian, says this. There is these people, and they're arguing, and they're arguing over how many teeth are in a horse. And this guy comes in, he's like, well, duh, it's 32. And they're like, get him! And they drag him outside and beat him. And on some accounts, say he, they beat him till he was dead. And then sometimes they, they beat him, and he ran home. I don't know, that's, that's a little gray area. But then they open up, they go, hey, we should go, we should go count the teeth. They pull the guy Oh, there's 32 teeth in here. What did you believe it? But the deed was already done. The deed was already done. The truth will hold you accountable. How does every person feel with that raised the fist to that guy? And he was telling the truth. How many people in this room feel that twinge of pain when you see Jesus on the cross and it was your nail and your sin? The truth will hold you accountable. The truth will hold you accountable because this, truth is that we don't walk in faith 
because we haven't accepted God is faithful. A lot of people in this room do not accept. Listen to that sentence, it's very tricky. We don't accept the faithful God because we don't live a faithful God. There's a lot of people in this room, it kind of looks like this. There's a lot of people in this room that don't operate in a forgiving God because they don't operate in forgiveness. You haven't accepted the forgiveness of God that's already yours. How do I know that it's already yours? It's unmerited, it's undeserved, it's been given from the cross. You didn't earn it. Jesus Christ gave it as a gift, it is yours. The truth is you are a fallen creature that needs a savior without a doubt. Look at that, remember that picture I showed you, the weaving web of everybody getting married to everybody and everybody cutting off heads and everything? That's the, the tangled web of self-deception. And Jesus said, I came to untangle all that and give you a direct path from me to you. This entire Bible is just God undoing everything that you did, that web, so you can untangle yourself and come to him. Repentance looks a lot like this, and so does the truth. If you guys have ever looked at uh, like Discovery Channel, they, I love this. They do this video on uh, monkey hunters, and what they do is they take a gourd, have you ever seen a gourd? It's like a big, long squash. And they break up like CD parts and flashy metal things. And they put in there and a monkey goes, oh my gosh, there's flashy metal things in there. I have to have it. Like I, of all the things I'm gonna do today, I have to have it in there. And he sticks his hand in the gourd. Now the gourd is shaped big in the front, little in the middle and big in the back. He sticks his hand in there and he grabs all like the screws and the CD parts and he can't pull it out. And the truth is, if he lets it go, he can go. And they never do. And it makes me kind of laugh a little bit. It's kind of sad. But I'm just like, look at this dumb monkey. And as soon as I say that, as soon as I'm in YouTube and Joey comes running in the room and he's like, look at that dumb monkey. We're all in the room together looking at the dumb monkey. The first thing I think is how many times God has said, if you would just repent and let go of that sin, if you would just understand of how much of a fallen creature, if you would just let go and let me be God. Would you let me be the savior that you are not to yourself? We don't walk in this faith because we don't accept that God is faithful. God is faithful because we are still here breathing. We are still here. How many times have I sinned this week and God is like, I'm still on you, Joey. How many times have I sinned in my entire past? And then he goes, I'm gonna make you a youth pastor. And I'm like, huh, what? Are you sure? Remember Peter? Oh, you are, you are the son of God. And Jesus is like, you're right on. And he goes, I'm gonna go to the cross. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna be buried. Peter's like, whoa, whoa, we're getting a little hasty there, Jesus. And Jesus, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because the calling of a creator always has to be bigger than the creation. We have to acknowledge who he is. When you look at your Lord, is he your God? Is he the king of your heart? I always like this because this is always puts it in perspective for me. If God says this, then I believe it. Look what John Corson says. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. The fallout and the truth is this. If I love sin, I'm a bad person. I'm not talking about any of you. I'm a bad person. I love to sin. I love to sin and it causes pain and it causes hurt. And there always has to be a sacrifice. There always has to be a coming together. There always has to be a forgiveness. There always has to be a moment of mercy. And it can only come by somebody who's bigger than all of my sin, and that's Jesus Christ. God has wanted to save me from time and time again, and I'm just like that dumb monkey that won't let go. And he, I just feel the gentleness and the firmness of this. And you go, how do you know he's gentle? And how do you know he's firm? He's in my ear every day, and he's going, just let go. And I will show you a better way. I'm a pastor, I'm preaching out of the word, and you don't know how many times I still go, well, have you thought about this, Jesus? Have you thought about the thing, have you thought about my proposal, Jesus? <laughs> have you thought about like where we just fire everybody and start over again? And Jesus is like, what? <laughs> Who are you? John the Baptist wasn't killed because he was rebellious. John the Baptist was killed because he was preaching a life of repentance. And the darkness always wants to shrink back. Uh, John Lennox always tells the story. He's in an argument with Richard Dawkins. If some of you guys know, Richard Dawkins is a very angry atheist that likes to debate Christians, and he likes to shred Christianity. And he got really flustered with John Lennox, and he said to John Lennox, most amazing line, he said, you know what Christianity is? It's just a fairy tale Christians tell themselves because they're afraid of the dark. Life's dark, that's it. You know, life's dark. You live, you die, that's it. John Lennox, without missing a beat, I won't do his awesome Irish accent, but he does it so great because it makes it even better. He goes, you know what atheism is? 
It's a fairy tale that people that don't believe in God tell themselves because they're afraid of the light. I will tell you, there was two people at my old job that were not, that were not afraid of the light. The inspector and his assistant. The rest of us were trying to shoo cockroaches out the door. Or turn lights off or unscrew bulbs. But the truth of the matter is, it's bad and it needs to be removed. Herod didn't kill John because he feared the people. Herod didn't kill John, or Herod did kill John because he feared the people. He didn't kill him because he feared the people, and he did kill him. The reason why we wrestle so badly with God and a world is we want to believe the lie in the Garden of Eden is that we can be good and sin. False. And that should change how you move and how you deal with the people that are maybe in your family or that guy that you're preaching to. He is blind in the dark. So you have to proceed that way. If you notice, Jesus talks totally different to non-believers than he does to believers. He doesn't hit them with the Christianese. He hits them with what he can show them. A, have to believe this, that the snare that was in Herod's heart was this. He did not know or believe who God is. And I will tell you this, who you believe God is the worship of your heart. I'm gonna paint this picture for you. If you believe you're God, you will worship as such. If you believe money is God, you will worship as such. If you believe the King of heaven, our Father, our Lord, our Messiah is King, you will worship as much. Who you believe Jesus is the most important thing about this. Look at this line. The truth is, problem with the truth is we are fallen, we are bad, and we need a good God. Praise Jesus that he is good. The problem with the darkness being exposed to that light is this. It hurts. It hurts to find out that you're fallen. It hurts to find out you're so far from God. It hurts to say this. I have a kingdom in my heart that's being preached to. God is building a kingdom or Satan is building a kingdom. And it's kind of interesting in some of the translations about Herod, he was sorry that John the Baptist had to get killed. Guess what? Sorrow doesn't do it. Sorrow is just the beginning. Sorrow is just the beginning of you killing your conscience if you go, sorry, John the Baptist. Sorrow allows sin to continue. Sorrow means you still cheat on your taxes. I know it's coming up. I worked that one in there. I told the Holy Spirit no, but he told me to put it in there. <laughs> Sorrow means that your loved ones somewhere continue to be abused verbally or physically. Sorrow means you lie. Sorrow means that you continue to let the marriage die. Sorrow means the name of Jesus is still compromised in your life. Children of God rely on our Lord as the source of truth. The truth is this. The evidence of a changed heart can be seen by the truth that flows, not just in them, but through them. This is the hardest thing for, I believe, the modern Christian world to see is this, there's an 18-inch gap, average of 18 inches. A lot of things we know. A lot of things about Jesus comfort us here. But until they manifest here, we will never be true Christians. We will never live by it. It's a long trip, that last 18 inches. I want to serve God, but I don't want to give up the comfort of the world. I want to overcome fear of the man, but I'm overwhelmed by the love of God calling me to Siberia, which is the one I always hear. Immediately I give my heart to the Lord, I'm going to Siberia. That's not true. God has a calling for you right where you're at. Right now, there's people in your family, in your heart, in your home, in your world that need to be preached to, and you have a gospel in you. Where we meet God in our faithfulness, in our obedience, is where we see this. We should see a fruit that remains. Remember John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a changed heart that's been resurrected from the dead that looks like this, what the fruit in a Christian should look like, knowing God, loving God, serving God. That's the truth. That's the flow of a Christian. That's the fruit that will remain forever. How do I know? All those Sundays and Saturdays and Wednesdays and everything that I gave up, I can go, well, I gave it up and I served you, Lord. No, that's not what's gonna remain. What's gonna remain is all those kids that got saved because they heard the gospel. And when I get to heaven, they'll still be there. 
all those marriages that were healed because I spent the time. Jackie and I sat and held their hands and dried their tears and preached to them not a seven-step plan, but the gospel of Jesus Christ in their individual hearts and then their coming together and God's plan for them. And what a joy that will be when we get to heaven and see Christ and see all those people that we worked with. Herod sowed into a dying system and reaped death. I want to just let you know, it says this in, uh, I believe it's in Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Let me give you a little story of what happened. We don't even go to that. That that picture was ridiculous of the whole family. But this is what happened. It's amazing. It's amazing. So Philip, Herod Philip uh, goes to Rome This is the brother whose wife left him. Herodias left him. He beats Herod Antipas to Rome. He gets to Rome and he badmouths his brother. He said, my brother's a jerk. He's gonna try to one-up you. He's gonna try and steal power from Rome. He's the worst. Here's some money. Herod hears from Herodias and she's like, we're just not gaining enough ground. We're not doing things fast enough. She's like, you need to go. You need to go and tell him how great you are. You need to tell him that you need to be king over all of Israel and not just governor, but king, not just prince, but king. He gets there, Caligula, you guys have heard this name before, looks at him and goes, yeah, thanks, but no thanks, and you're exiled. His Arabian previous marriage princess, her dad comes and destroys everything. Salome, the daughter who danced, this is the most amazing one. Cassia, Cassius, Cassius Dio is a, a, a Roman historian. I just started reading him. This is the first thing I read from him. It's amazing how God works. Salome went with some friends to the Alps. She wanted to see snow for the first time. She goes out on a lake. She slips. The ice cuts her head off. I only want to paint that picture for you this way. This is a family that sowed into a dying and crumbling world of the sin and they reaped it. And I want to ask you this. I just think about Herod being exiled and the, and the smells and, the, and the, you, you leave the palace and you get pushed out for non-luxury and you live like a pauper. Just the, just, I picture all this and him being like, was it worth it? Was it worth it? And then I picture John waking up on the shores of heaven and breathing celestial, beautiful air. I'm sure it's better than Bed Bath & Body Works. <laughs> and seeing his Savior for the first time. Look at this verse, Mark 8, 34-38. And then he called to the crowd to him, and he said this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can he give in exchange for his soul if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation? The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to his Father's glory with his angels. I want to put in another story in your heart, and I think it's Matthew 23. When Jesus shows up, Pilate sends Jesus after torturing him, beating him up, sends him to Herod to be, to be judged. And Jesus gets there and looks Herod in the eye, doesn't say a word. You were indifferent towards my prophets. You were indifferent toward me. It's the only man that he doesn't really talk to, Herod. Jesus isn't a hobby. Jesus isn't a novelty. Jesus is the assurance of your blessed arrival to that celestial shore in heaven. And Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You know who John the Baptist was? Exactly who God defined him. Remember I said, the light holder is defined by the light. Can you imagine getting this title? John the Baptist, last and greatest of all prophets. Jesus made that banner for him. Nobody else. And who else is more qualified to to declare that than Jesus Christ himself? If you deny me before man, I'll deny you before the Father. The measure of ministry is the cross in your heart, not your circumstances. Everyone could look at John the Baptist and feel real bad for him. I'm pretty sure he's in heaven wearing the only badge that only was given out, the greatest prophet. That's the measure of his ministry. Following Christ means we have to follow him all the way to the cross. John the Baptist is proof of that. 
The disciples are proof of that. We're proof of that. This is a broken road that I've always heard, and I, I like when you say, when I've learned. When you hear grandma or grandpa as a grandkid, you always, what I've learned, you know the truth is coming. Whenever you hear that voice, right? Grandma, grandpa, what I've learned, you know this is a life truth because it's not something that was just taught or it wasn't just something that you heard in a read in a book. Grandma learned this lesson. If you can trust Jesus with your eternity, you can trust him with your guidance and his leadership. This was a hard lesson for Jackie and I to learn the first year of our marriage. I'm going to be real with you. There was plenty of nights where I was like, this, this chick didn't clean the kitchen before she went to bed. <laughs> what? I come home after a long day. What? And I just remember so many times where the Lord put his hand lovingly on my shoulder and he said, oh, why don't you take a chill pill? Go in this room for 10 minutes and cool off. It's so, it's so bizarre. Funny being married now this long, but looking back, it's, I'm like, what? How dare she disrespect and then I would walk in the room and go, hey, honey. I'd change my attitude, pray, going, hey, honey, how you doing? She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I fell asleep. I was working on this, this cake I made you, and I worked all day. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine if I went in there without God's leadership, what would happen? Am I thankful that the Lord led? We have to clear the noise, we have to quiet our souls, and we have to let God lead. And if you're in a storm, you can't look at your circumstances, you have to look at the God of your circumstances. You have to trust God with his leadership. You are the greatest prophet of all time. What an amazing title. The measure of our ministry is the cross of my heart. I put this up here. Uh, I want you to look at this. This is a conscience. I'm gonna close on this, and we're gonna pray out. Um, do you have this life in my conscience? Is that one there? Okay, cool. I kind of add this in there. This is like, you know, Balmer gets to do all these things where he does his Balmer translations. This is a Joey translation. The measure of my ministry is the cross in my heart. The grace and mercy that I pour out by going into the other room, praying for 10 minutes, walking in the room. Honey, what's going on? She goes, I baked you a cake. I'm so glad I listened to the Lord. The measure is that I receive grace from the Lord. I give grace. The, the, the measure of my heart is this, is that I receive the truth from the Lord. I will preach the truth. I will not give out lies. The measure of the grace in my heart is that I've received forgiveness. I will pour out forgiveness. My conscience is the king of the cross, now rules on the throne of my heart. Are we listening? Are we listening? Are we guided? My beautiful kingdom was, was bought and paid for by a faithful king, and he was never indifferent just think about that. Not for one moment was Jesus ever indifferent. My faith meets his faithfulness and he's all the truth that I need. We're gonna pray on this. And I'm gonna give you guys this opportunity in this moment. Close your eyes, just bow your heads, put everything away. I'm gonna read a Bible verse and we'll pray on this. Mark 12, 30. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Let the lost world who never gave me anything but a crumbling kingdom of sin and didn't even want me, let them have it. I want eternity with heaven with the one who gave me everything. That's my heart. If today you need that forgiveness and you need that repentance, just call on the Lord right now. If you're a person that's been denying the truth, putting the truth on mute, just say to the Lord, I'm open to you right now. The conviction is on my heart. If you've been running away from repentance, just so you know, that sin has been paid for on the cross. Just move towards the cross and say, Jesus Christ, please forgive me of my sins. I've been living for a heaven but I've been acting like hell. I've been given to fear, but I want to be a person of faith. I've been worshiping at the altar of some different gods, money, TV, pornography, hatred, racism. I don't know what it is. Abuse, pride. I'm ready to kill those idols today. I'm ready to get rid of them. 
Lord, I just pray in this moment right now, I need to learn and let you be God. I've learned to let you just bleed. I need to learn to let you, or for me to understand that my heart is your kingdom. It's the mercy seat and you sit upon it. Right now, I just pray right now that if somebody is in this room and they are lost to the Lord, that they just come to the Lord now and they just call on him. If somebody right here is hurting and just waiting for the Lord to move, this is your moment. You call on the Lord and hear the truth. You need a savior. You have a savior. He is calling into your heart right now. If there's somebody that's sick, let them move to the great physician. By your stripes, he will be healed. Lord, I just pray right now, if there are marriages that are hurting in this room, I just pray that you just be the God that is mending and healing those hearts. We are not just talking, we're listening. We're repenting and we're claiming you as Savior. And all of God's children said, amen. Now, before you guys go, I just want to put up one last little thing, the last slide, the kingdom part. This is what I want to leave you. The king will lead his kingdom Kingdom for the word for his dominion of his kingship. When you leave today, will you let your king rule and reign? If you need prayer, please come up and see me. If you need to continue this conversation because you struggle with this statement, please come up and see me. I want to let you know something, guys. This is a moment of revival when the revelation of our relationship with God is poignant and strong. When we realize this, he is king and we are not, and he is coming for his subjects. I love you guys. Have a wonderful day. And I'll see you, I guess, next time. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of Intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 630 p.m.